I'm going to ask some guys if they put up on the screen my uh, Acts 10:44 for me. This is not my text tonight. This is my prayer tonight. And I want you to join me as I pray. Every head bowed and every eye closed. And if you would, please stretch your hands to heaven. The scripture says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. Lord, tonight, I'm not Peter. But God, I believe what you did then, you can do this night. This congregation is your people too, Father. And that's my prayer tonight, God, that while I speak this night, your Holy Spirit would fall upon all who hear this word. Father, whether they're in the sanctuary or whether they're listening online, we need an outpouring of your Spirit, O oh God. And we need a refreshing like a summer rain on a dry ground. And God, tonight I pray that we are stirred and encouraged this night for your will to be done in each of our lives. May all that we do give you praise, glory, and honor. And everybody say, amen. Now give him a shout of praise. Let everything that has breath praise ye the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. You may be seated this night. Hallelujah. I want to begin with a statement, a very practical statement, and that is we're in a church, we're in a fight church, and we've got to fight to win, and not only fight, but we've got to know how to fight. I want us to begin this night by looking at a time in history that correlates with today's conditions. We're going to be talking about a story familiar to a lot of people, but it's about a man named Gideon who was called by God to lead a fight against the enemies of his nation. So I want to go to the book of Judges, chapter 6, and I want to read some scripture for a minute to tell the story. Judges, chapter 6, verse 1 says, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them to the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel, and because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made them the dens which are in the mountains and caves and the strongholds. Why? They made them to hide in. And so it was when Israel had sown, and were planted their crops, that the Midianites came up, and the Malachites and the children of the east, even they came up against them. And they encamped against them, and destroyed the increase of the earth, till thou come unto Gaza, and left no substance for Israel, neither sheep, nor ox, nor donkey. For they came up with their cattle and their tents, and they came as grasshoppers for multitude. For both they and their camels were without number, and they entered the land to destroy it. The enemy wanted to destroy their land. And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. They cried for help. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel, which said unto them, Thus say the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you forth out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the land of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all that oppressed you and drove them out from before you and gave you their land. And I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under the oak, which was in Ophrah, that pertained to Joash, Asberite. And his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thy mighty mount of valor. It's amazing how God can always see us in us what we can't see in ourselves. 
And Gideon said unto him, Oh, my Lord, if it will be with us, then why is this all befallen us? Boy, if that's not a 2020 question of the day. And where, and where be all his miracles, which our fathers told us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us to the hands of the Midianites. We have many people who once again feel this way today with what we're facing. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel in the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? And he cried unto him, saying, Oh, my Lord, wherewith shall I, ha- I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. Now, my assignment today is to tell you that in this very hour, our nation is being ravaged by our enemies who want to destroy our land. And once again, God's looking for a man or a woman he can use to smite our enemies, someone who will fight. He's looking for leaders who are hiding out to lead an army. Is it you? Gideon was a judge over Israel. Although the Bible describes him as timid, Gideon is known as the greatest of all the 15 judges. Compared with some of the other judges ruling Israel, Gideon seems to get a lot more press in the Old Testament. His life experiences cover more than two chapters. Compared to some of the other judges, only got one part of a chapter. With Gideon being known as the greatest judge of Israel, readers might be surprised, though, when they dive into the narrative to find out he's a very timid ruler. He felt inferior, he felt intimidated, and he felt not worthy because of his upbringing, because of his social status. He even lacked confidence in his walk with the Lord. In fact, when we first meet up with him, he's hiding out from his enemies. He's on a threshing floor while his nation was being ravaged year after year and his enemies were growing. The people of the land cried out to God for help, and God calls upon Gideon to help. Now, when the angel of the Lord appears unto Gideon, he hears him saying to him, he will save the Israelite people from the oppressors. He doesn't really believe what he's hearing at the first. He even questions it. Apparently, his relationship with God is not as strong as it should be during these times of trouble for his nation. Instead of being hid in his prayer closet, working on his relationship with God, he was hiding in a cave working on his own survival, just minding his own business. His relationship with God had grown so cold to the point he wasn't even sure that it was God who was speaking to him. So we see in Scripture where he decides to test to see if it's really God by using a fleece. First, he requires God to put dew on the fleece that he lays out instead of on the dry ground. Then he asks for the opposite, a dry fleece on wet ground, and then once more the opposite. And how many of us have done or are doing the very same thing today where our relationship with God is not strong enough for us to truly know his voice anymore? We're not able to discern whether it's God speaking to us or whether it's the pizza we had last night. You've heard God call you, and yet you procrastinate and make excuses, question God, are you sure about me? So you test God. Well, it's really meant for me to do then. You have so-and-so say something or do something or, or you make this happen or that happen. Then I'll know. And you put out your fleeces to try to avoid the responsibility because you feel so inadequate. Perhaps you struggle with what he asked you to do. That if he asked you to do some small task, you would be more likely to do it than some strange thing. Sometimes to get something great to happen in your life, God will ask you to do something humbling first. Perhaps you've even overwhelmed to think God would choose you or consider you. And you respond like Gideon, who am I? I'm the least likely. And you begin to remind God of who you are like he doesn't know or forgot somehow. And you question your ability based upon your social status, your education, your financial burdens. Because of your circumstances, you feel like God has made a mistake this time. 
But I tell you, God does not make mistakes. He declares he even chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. He chooses at least likely as did David and Moses and Gideon, the 12 disciples and so on, even still today. It doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. It's often a fact you can believe God can use everyone else, but it's so much harder for you to believe when he calls you. But Gideon had an had a altar experience, and through that altar experience, God confirms to Gideon he is who he says he is. Then Gideon goes as instructed by God, and he tears down the altar of Baal, which caused an uproar in the city. Then we go to verse 33, and it says, Then the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the people of the east gathered together, and they crossed over and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. The enemy's army was growing stronger and bigger and bigger, and always will until somebody stands up and fights. Year after year, their enemy grew stronger and larger, taking more and more from Israel. That's still relative of today. Just turn on the news. In verse 34, it says, The Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew the trumpet, and the trumpet that signaled his allies to assemble and prepare for battle. This is where Gideon puts out a fleece, not one, but three times, looking for assurance from God that he is really with him. Do you see how that now that their relationship is growing, it was causing his confidence to grow? Do you see now that how he is listening to God and God is leading him and instructing him that God was preparing him for the battle that lied ahead? And after God assures Gideon that through the fleecing, Gideon rises the next morning, he's ready to go fight. And most of you know how the story goes from there. Gideon assembles 32,000 men, but God says that's too many. And he's asked him to ask who's afraid and send the wolves who are afraid home. And there was 22,000 was too afraid to fight. So they sent them home. They only left 10,000. And then he asks, asks them and says, that's not enough again. And he says, too many, I mean. And then so he cuts it down to 300. So now we have just 300 men now. And Gideon knows he has to rely on God to provide for a miracle. And church, where we're at now, we're going to have to rely on God to provide a miracle to win this battle we are in as a nation. We got to do more than panic. We got to prepare for the battle that lies ahead. Many are going to fold. Many are going to quit. Many are going to become paralyzed by fear or won't be prepared for the battle. But if only a remnant believes that with God on their side, they can win, we're going to have a victory. See, God had a strange, unusual plan in place. The enemy was so confident they would prevail over God's people but with God's plan, the 300 Israelites won't even have to invade or attack to wipe out the Midianites personally. He just has them create as much noise as possible, letting out war hoops in the darkness that sounded like blaring trumpets while smashing glass jars. And this confused the men in the Midianite camp, making them believe Gideon's army was much bigger than it was. And out of fear, they end up killing each other in the chaos, proving to us with God on our side, nothing is impossible. That our obedience is greater than our sacrifice. Now, when I read this story, I see it this way today. The Midianites are like the anarchists of today. People are a nation who have been subdued by the spirits of the Antichrist, who have been plotting year after year to ravage our nation. While the church has been like Gideon, timid men and women of God who are hiding out inside these walls, not willing to fight, just minding their own business timid and afraid of the enemy, wondering what can we do about it. And God shows up and says to Gideon what he's now speaking to the church. The enemy is growing, greater than the church in numbers. And many are afraid and refuse to fight. And God is testing the others. And many have failed the test, leaving only a remnant to take on a numerous enemy. 
And it's going to take a miracle to defeat our enemy while so many are afraid. But just like then, I believe God's going to do it again. Like he spoke of in Isaiah 26 and 21. God's fixing to come out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. In other words, I believe judgment is coming to the wicked soon. Judgment might begin in the house of the Lord Church, but it doesn't stop there. No, 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 no. It is time for the wicked to be judged and their wicked assignments to be destroyed. See, according to 1 John 3 and 8, Christ has come to destroy the works of the enemy. And for those willing to prepare to join him in this fight, this battle that's ahead, he's got a plan to where we'll never even have to draw a sword. God will go before us, and he will confuse our enemy to the point they will turn on themselves. I'm telling you, the wicked's plan is going to backfire. He did it then, and I believe he's going to do it again. But someone, you and I, the church, we have to intercede and quit being silent. Hid out in these walls while the enemy year after year keeps taking more and more, ravaging our country. Where are the men of valor? Where are the virtuous women? Where are the redeemed who are willing to say so? I say it's time to arise and shine and let our enemies be scattered. I hear a remnant roaring like the sounds of many trumpets, and I hear chains breaking. And I see the mighty hand of God going for those who are willing to take a stand, confusing the enemy. For those who are willing to be sober and vigilant because our adversary, the devil, is walking around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. God's not given us a spirit of fear. You must trust in the Lord with all your heart. No weapon formed against us shall prosper. See, our problem today is the same problem Gideon had. And that is how we see ourselves and not how God sees us. We are the greatest force on this earth our enemy has to reckon with because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Like Gideon, we have lost our confidence in God, but God has never lost his confidence in us. He sees us hunkered down by the roar of our enemy, intimidated and fearful, believing there's nothing we can do. We are even to the point of simply believing our vote won't even make a difference. There were 25 million Christians who didn't even vote the last election, who believed my one vote won't make no difference. Maybe one vote won't. But the problem was 25 more million Christians just like you felt the same way their one vote didn't matter. But yet what a difference 25 million votes would have made for the moral standards of our nation. What a difference they would have made for the direction of our country. Gideon believed the same way. Lord, what difference would just I make? I'm not nobody. I'm just hanging out here in this cave, minding my own business. There's not a lot I can do. And that is for all of us. There's so many who have not answered the call upon their lives, and you feel like you're not good enough, that you're not popular enough. You live on the wrong side of the tracks. You've got the wrong last name. You don't got the resources or the education. What difference could I make in all of this? But yet God chose you. And it's not about what you can do. It's about what God can do through you. If God can make something out of nothing, if he can make somebody out of a nobody, if he can take a human and make a human out of a pile of dirt, if he can speak creation into existence, if he can create galaxies in the sky and the sun and the moon and the stars, then he can take a boy like me and he can take a girl like you and he can cause us to poke holes in the darkness if we're only willing to let our light shine. Hallelujah. Every single one of us has a purpose 
everyone. And it's time for us to rise up. The church should not allow the gates of hell to prevail against it. We're called to help Christ destroy the works of the enemy. For too long, we've hid out in these walls while the enemy has came year after year and ravaged our nation. I believe God has used this virus as a device to launch us outside of these walls and to help us understand this building's not the church, that those people out there don't need a building as much as they need Jesus. See, there's another story of a prophetess named Deborah who too was a judge. She and her people would meet on a hilltop and they'd worship God. While down below them, there was an enemy who was taking their land. The enemy, though, mistook them as weak people, even mocked them and said, their God's nothing more than a God of the mountains. He has no authority over us down here. But there came a day when the enemy tried to take over the land and were confident that they could. But that day, the church came down off that mountain and destroyed their enemies and sent them on the run for their lives. When they came down off that mountain, when this church comes down off of our hillside, I proclaim the enemy better run. Butler County will never be the same, and the enemy will have to flee in the name of Jesus. This building was not designed to be a meeting place and not to be a hiding place. We're together in here to prepare for out there. It's time to take us to the streets to set the captives free. And as I prophesied, right in the middle of all chaos is going to be the greatest revival this world has ever seen. Because out there, church, is where the real fight is. And we can either choose to go out there to the enemy's camp like Gideon did, or God can allow these doors to be shut to forces out there. Now, for just a moment, I want you to look at a video, and I want you to look what's going on in the very midst of all the chaos. This man's name is Sean. One man decided to come out of hiding to answer the call. I'd never heard of him like many of you. But now he's gone viral because he answered a call. Did you notice they're not in a building? Do you notice they are right in the midst of all the rioting and looting all around them? But the glory of the Lord surrounded them. They have been in Seattle. They have been in Portland. They have been in Chicago. They are in the dying lion's den. Come on, somebody. And God is speaking, but are we listening to the right voice? So many voices out there, and the only way you're ever going to discern who it is is to have a closer relationship with God. So you can learn his voice, too. Jesus said in John 10, he said, my sheep know my voice, they know, and I know them, and they follow me. In John 10, 5, he says, they know my voice, and a stranger will not follow. How we learn his voice is by spending a lot of time with him. When you spend a lot of time talking to someone, you learn the voice, don't you? 
to the point someone will call you, and immediately you know it is by their voice. You won't have to, they won't have to tell you who they are. You automatically know. Then someone else will call, and you don't recognize their voice, and you'll say, well, who is this? Which means you really don't know them. You haven't spent much time with this individual, but here you are listening to them. So it is with God. If you spend enough time with him, you will learn his voice. If you don't know the voice of God, you'll be deceived as the many that already are. The greatest ploy of our enemies to destroy and divide our nation is by using deception. Using it to promote division in the church and out of the church. If you want to be prepared for what's coming, we must go into a deeper relationship with God. He says to draw nigh to him, and he'll draw nigh to us. And Isaiah 26, he says, come, my people, enter your chambers and shut the doors behind you. In other words, get in your prayer closets. He says, hide yourselves as if it were for a little moment. Until the indignation is passed, the injustice that has angered you is over. There are voices of the righteous that are sounding the alarm. Their voices are like trumpets warning the righteous to assemble and prepare for the spiritual battle ahead. To gather together in unity and harmony. To be prepared for spiritual battle is not going to the store and stocking up on toilet paper. That's not spiritual preparation. That's panic-induced. It's getting in your prayer closet, spending time with God, and listening to his voice as he instructs you what you're to do. To find out what is your role in all of this. Do you even realize you have a part to play regardless how big or little? Big or little, they have the same value. Like Gideon, sir, ma'am, you could be the key to revival. You could be the key to victory. You could be the leader God wants to raise up in this hour. Yes, you, the least likely one. Those that are listening to his voice will be prepared for the battle. Those who are not listening will panic. The greatest survival tool you could possess in these times is a right relationship with God Almighty. See, the church has been trying for too long to work its problems out in the flesh. And the problem for too long has been the church became man's church instead of the Lord's house. Man has said, well, we'll build a building and we'll do this and we'll do that. And what we do will cause people to come. We'll have programs. We'll have events that will be attractive to their flesh. Only to find it's a continual search to find the fad that will stir their interest and emotions to return. We spend more time trying to put people in the pews than we do trying to put Jesus in their hearts. And when we're unsuccessful at growth, we fight amongst ourselves and wonder, why won't people come to church? Why won't people stay and be faithful? Why are they always going here and always going there? We try to work it all out in the flesh, trying to create a solution. There will never be a solution until we recognize the real problem that flesh will draw, but it will not convert. Flesh will draw, but it won't heal hurt. Flesh will draw, but it won't cause transformation. Unless the Lord builds a house, those that labor, labor in vain. For it is the spirit that must draw. It is the spirit that converts. It is the spirit that heals hurts. It is the spirit that transforms lives. When are we going to learn our role is to love, that love covers a multitude of sin? We are commanded to love our neighbors as ourselves. We are told that no greater love has a man than to lay down his life for his friends. If we want them to stay, to be converted, to be healed of their hurt, then we've got to learn it takes the spirit of God working in our lives. That no flesh shall glory in his presence. We've got to stop trying to work it out, flesh it out, and program it out, and literally fall at his feet in brokenness and humbly plead, God, we need you. Too often we'll call a board meeting to flesh things out, long before we'll call a prayer meeting to pray things through. We'll sign a note long before we'll petition and ask God for provision. 
Where is the purity of heart falling before a sovereign God and admitting that we can't do this without you, Lord? We'll sit and we'll plan, what can I do to change things, to change people? Losing sight of, I'm nothing, God, without you. This time of solitude and isolation has been just as much for the preacher as it has been for the congregation. It's been a time of reflection and repositioning and having our hearts and motives reevaluated. Through this time of isolation, many preachers were stripped of their congregations, stripped of the applause of man, and stripped of their authority. But yet those that went to their prayer closets, hallelujah, now know of God's plans of his reset of the church. They're ready for battle. They understand a reformation's taking place in the body of Christ. Reformation means making changes to something with the intention of setting it back on the right path. Also, they've come to the understanding that God is strategically positioning the church for spiritual battle. That in the year 2020, the spirit of Elijah is once again facing the spirit of Jezebel. This is our Mount Carmel moment. And every high thing must come down, and every stronghold shall be broken. Everything and everyone who tries to exalt himself above the knowledge of God shall be cast down, and every evil imagination must be cast down. And those that didn't run to their prayer closets to inquire of God, they'll fall at the weight of their pride and awaken to, who am I? And what can I do? They will learn they missed a breaking and a reassignment season that was ordained by God. Some will simply try to ride out the storm and miss the most important reorganizing meeting of God and will proceed with themselves with only a form of godliness, trying to cope with a godless society, while others will be broken and humbled, yet anointed and battle-ready, willing and ready to go forward. Those who have followed the instructions of his word and have put on the whole armor of God to fight against the wiles of the enemy... Wiles are tricks or manipulations designed to deceive someone. The wiles of the devil are those clever schemes used by Satan. Deception that's been used to ensnare through temptation, threats, or intimidation. The Word of God gives us insight into our enemy's tactics, so we're not unaware of his schemes. In 2 Corinthians 2.11 says, For we are not to be ignorant of his devices, and we are to be wise to heed to his, to his warnings. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. So this is how we fight our battles. We need the fire of the Holy Ghost. We need to be empowered by the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Now that's becoming a real issue in churches claiming to be Pentecostal. We got too many people claiming today what the believers claimed in Acts 19 too, when Paul asked them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? Like then, many are saying to still today, we haven't even heard there be a Holy Ghost. God forgive us. No wonder there's a dead spirit in the church, just simply operating off mechanics and talents, not even enough power in the church to heal a headache. There are churches that you can walk into that if it wasn't for the sign out front, you would have never guessed it was Pentecostal. They're dead, they're dry, they're lethargic, they're void of the Spirit of God. Why? Because nobody wants to talk about the Holy Ghost because there's no longer a desire for the Holy Ghost. But how can you desire something that you've never heard of? How can they hear unless a preacher's sent? Hallelujah. 
See, the church has become cold and indifferent. We have too many asbestos Christians in the church. What does that mean? Asbestos means flame-proof. It's why you can't be filled with the fire of the Holy Ghost. See, God's an all-consuming fire. That when you're baptized by the Holy Ghost and fire, he burns up everything in you and sets you on fire. How is he going to set you on fire when you have become flame-proof? When you're fire-retardant, when your flesh has become retardant to the things of the Spirit, the church has become like a flight simulator. And I've used this analysis before, but it's worth repeating. A flight simulator is used to give an imitated experience of a flying plane without ever having an actual genuine experience. It feels like you're flying. It appears to be real, but it's nothing more than a simulation. And this very thing's happening in the church. All we're doing is simulating experiences, and there's not no real thing going on. That's why there's no power in the church. It's not the real, authentic move of the Holy Ghost and fire. We're just pretending that we're all that. We are nothing more than just brass tinkling in the wind. It looks real. The shouting, the dancing's good. We appear to have a black belt anointing, but we leave here and go home and wake up in the morning, and nothing's changed. Why? Because without the true, authentic fire of the Holy Ghost, Nothing burned up last night. We can't fight these fights without the Spirit of God working in us. We're just coming in here simulating, feeling like we're having an experience but never truly having one. Sadly, in churches across the people have become satisfied with pretending. We'll even invest our money in gadgets and technology to help simulate the experience. But a true experience takes real fire, supernaturally produced by God. And any other cheap, imitated version will never transform the flesh to be holy. It will only pleasure the flesh. It will have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. Church, we found it easier to entertain people than to evangelize them. And God is sick of simulating churches. God does not like to be mocked. God is real. Therefore, we can have real experiences. We can have real transformation. We can have anointing results. But in order to do that, we got to be willing to be consumed by his all-consuming fire. See, the Great Commission is to go into all the world and preach the gospel, to go, commanded with urgency. We think if we can come in here and just pray, it'll happen. Prayer and preaching go hand in hand. Can I tell you some truth? Unless we get up from our praying, go preach to a lost and dying world, nothing's going to change and the world is going to go to hell. You don't need a podium. You simply need a voice. The spoken word is powerful. In Genesis 1 verse 3, God said, then then God said, let there be light. And there was light. Nothing happened until God spoke the word. And I believe the Holy Spirit's hovering over this world. Until we start speaking the word of God, nothing's going to just happen. We've got to go to the highways and the byways. We've got to compel them in. How? By speaking the word of God. Not only speaking the word, but speaking with fire. And the fire of the Holy Ghost makes you an effective preacher. It's time to quit playing church. Mimicking and mocking has no real power. Oh, it'll feel like power. It, it might look like power. Got eloquent speech and trained minds and gifted memories and charisma has, has no real power. Real devil-killing power is only implemented by the anointing power of the Holy Ghost. Regardless of the age, whether you're 7 or 70, regardless of your social status, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're black or white or Hispanic, regardless of your nationality, American, Mexican, African, that's why the greatest demonstration of God's power that I ever experienced took place in China in a basement of a restaurant with a whole lot less people than there are here tonight. It was an Acts 2 experience. When walked, in walked a Chinese peasant woman, her servant dressed, stood and spoke. Only 15 minutes, the simplest message I've ever heard. 
about the hands and the feet and the mouth of Jesus. But upon doing so, the power of God struck that room. The ground shook. The furniture moved. I was slain in the spirit. I had to carry out of the room. I could not speak a three-word sentence for more than 24 hours. That was a genuine move of God. Oh, Lord, while I speak, let your spirit fall upon your people. Because once you've tasted the genuine, it's hard to settle for the imitation. The difference was she was full of the Holy Ghost and fire. She was known throughout China as a woman God used to raise a man who'd been dead for three days. She was known for driving out a demonic bully out of a village that was being tormented by him by simply pointing her finger at him and commanding him to go. But yet too many churches in America don't have enough power to heal a flea. And we won't have until we quit trying to buy it and we start birthing it. How are people going to know who the real church is? The same way they found out the real truth on an old game show. Many of you might remember this. It was called To Tell the Truth. I don't know how many of you remember. There would be five contestants, all claiming to be Gary. But only one of them was really. And you had to guess which one you thought was telling the truth. Let me lose this as an illustration of how it's going to happen. Remember on that show, everybody claimed to be Gary. We've got every church claiming to be the church. But the audience knew that everybody that was saying they're Gary was not Gary. So also we know that everybody that says they're the church is not the real church. I mean, you claim to be, but some are counterfeits. And you can't have a counterfeit if there's not a real one. I can remember Jesus even making reference to the same situation. Even speaking of himself, saying, in the last days, many will say, I am the Christ. But they aren't me. So on this game show, everybody claims to be Gary. And the panel had tried to figure it out who the real Gary is. Just like the world is trying to figure out who the real church is. They all were seemingly convincible they were the real Gary. Today there are so many churches seemingly convincible that they are the church. The only one who truly knew the truth was Gary. The only one who truly knows who the real church is is God. And at the end of the show, when it was time to reveal who the real Gary was... The host of the show would say, would the real Gary please stand up? And I have come to tell you at the end of the times, in these last days, when it's time to reveal the real church, God's going to shout, will the real church please stand up? Not for the applause of man, but for the praise of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For him to say to you, well done, thy good and faithful servant. This is a move. There is something is moving and something is changing. But this movement won't move without the moving of the Spirit. Flesh won't move it. Programs won't do it. We must be filled with the Spirit. That's how we must fight our battles. Throughout time, we've taken the Holy Ghost from being commanded to being optional, to being controversial, to now being demanded by God. The powerless church will die, but the empowered church will thrive. We'll have no power against the darkness of this age and its spiritual agenda without the gifts of the Spirit being in operation, church, and the manifestation, the demonstration of His power working through the body of Christ. Pentecostalism is effectivism. Simulation will no longer be effective or fit the times of troubles upon this earth. And darkness led by evil prevail over lukewarmness. And the church will only be the church in its name instead of in the name of Jesus. It will only be fabricated and imitated, but never will the gates of hell prevail against the true church of the living God. Everywhere our feet trod and our hearts love, we will prevail. 
We will punch holes in the darkness of this world. We will be the light of the world. We will be a city on, set on a hill. There's power in the name, a name above all names. Demons tremble at the mention of his name and are destroyed by his power. All power was given to him on heaven and earth. God made the earth by his power. He found the world by his wisdom, and he stretched out the heavens by his understanding. Church, when he thunders, the waters and heavens roar. He makes clouds rise from the ends of the earth. He sends lightning with the rain, and he brings out the wind through his storehouses. For it is he who forms the mountains, he who creates the wind, and he who reveals his thoughts to mankind, who turns dawn to darkness and treads upon the heights of the earth. The Lord God Almighty is his name. And he is a God who can speak. He's a God who can deliver. He's a God who can heal. He's a God who can provide. He can walk with me and he can talk with me. His arm's not too short and his breath gives me light. So I ask you tonight, who's ready to fight the good fight? Would you stand with me in this place? Musicians, would you come? Hallelujah. In this quiet moment, would you just take a moment, seek the Lord for just a moment, begin to, begin to praise Him, worship Him, pray. Let the Holy Spirit minister for a moment. God, move on your people. fire of the Holy Ghost has got to come back to the church. The fire is what's going to bring the church and keep the church alive. The fire of the Holy Ghost is what's going to cause you to be able to have the strength to stand against the wiles of the enemy. There's a fight ahead of us, church. Mechanics won't, won't do it. Simulating things won't do it. We need the true, genuine move of the Holy Ghost to take place in our lives. If you've never been filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, I encourage you, ask God. It's a gift that he'll give you to fill you, to empower you. In these last days, God is saying with a real church, please stand up. Stand up and stand on the word of God. Stand up by faith. Stand up and declare his word. Stand up and preach the gospel. Stand up without fear. Stand up without apology. Let the manifested presence of God begin to move in your life. You could be the key to this revival. You could be the key to victory. Every single one of you, regardless who you are, you have a role to play. Have you spent time in your prayer closet asking God, what's my role in this? What do I do, God? Because God's got a plan and purpose for every single one of us. Our nation's in trouble. 
The enemy's coming day after day, ravaging our nation. And we can't remain hid out in these walls. We come here and we worship our God. And in return, God empowers us to go out there and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ under the anointing of the Holy Ghost. We've got to see it back in our churches. We've got to see the gifts of the Spirit in operation once again. We've got to be the church in these last days, the real church. Father, I come to you tonight in the precious name of Jesus Christ. I pray that your Holy Spirit will awaken some sleeping giants. God, you're calling the generals to the battlefield. You're calling your church outside the walls. You're encouraging us to go to those highways and byways and compel that broken and hurting world to come into your house where there's bread. Father, I pray that this word would inspire us and remind us of the importance of the power of the Holy Ghost that will be baptized by your spirit with the fire that will make a difference that will signify to the world that we're part of the real church that as we enter into your sanctuary God we'll walk into the presence of God that will saturate us with your presence and then as we leave Father Lord we take that power with us and we go out in an attempt to rescue the world, to help you, God, destroy the works of the enemy. God, let your Holy Spirit fall upon your people. Lead us, guide us, and direct us. Call, Lord, and I pray that we'll answer. Call your people, God. Position your people, God, for the work and the fight that's ahead of us. God, in all things, we trust you, God, and we give you praise in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you. May the Lord bless you.